Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. A year and a half has passed since the University Place development was first announced for the area near Olive Boulevard and Highway 170 in University City. The $190 million project would bring a Costco to the St. Louis suburb and with it a huge boost to tax revenue. But it would require raising not just multiple businesses but 67 homes, dozens of apartments, two churches and a school among other things. Now those property owners are negotiating with the developer and waiting to see what happens next. Residents like Letha Bat Baptiste say that not knowing for sure whether the development is going through, much less the timing of it, has thrown them into uncertainty. It's been very stressful because you don't know what they what what's going to happen. You know, you're in a limbo. So I'm really <laughs> almost stressed out. You know, being concerned about am I going to be here next year? I don't know because I you know it just one one day after another. You really don't know. That was Letha Baptiste, who's been in her University City neighborhood for decades and fears she'll have to move. Riverfront Times reporter Danny Wisentowski wrote about Baptiste and other people in the development shadow for last week's Riverfront Times. His cover story is called Wreckage in Waiting, and he's here with us today to discuss it. Full disclosure, I was previously Danny's editor at the RFT, but I did not edit this story. Do you have questions about the University, City, University Place project for Danny Wisentowski? Give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382 to talk, or you can send us a tweet at STL on air, or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. Danny Wisentowski, thank you so much for joining us today. It's so great to be here. Danny, you talked to both residents and business owners living in the footprint of this proposal. Let's talk about the businesses first. There were some great restaurants there, a car dealership, and more. How has this affected their plans? You know, I think... To understand the situation in University City, it's good to acknowledge that there are successful small businesses here. And so when we're talking about blight, we're talking about an area that is maybe socioeconomically uh, not at the point people want, we're not talking about, you know, giant vacancies or uh, maybe kind of the stereotypical vision of where you might think, let's just clear all this place out and put some shiny new big box store. There are dozens and dozens of businesses up and down Olive Boulevard, uh, the corridor, and in this area where the Costco is supposed to be, you have this strip mall called Jeffrey Plaza, where you have many, um, you know, number of acclaimed restaurants, businesses, um, you know, from small to somewhat larger. And they're kind of in a very, you know, kind of an impossible position in the sense that if they have tenants they're trying to rent out to, who wants to live, uh, who wants to open up a business in a place where might be raised, you know, in a number of months. Um, if they're trying to consider relocation, you know, what are the costs for getting new customers for building something else up? If you have a restaurant, uh, moving large equipment could cost tens of thousands of dollars and more, depending on the business. So are businesses pulling out? You know, my findings were that some of them are. Um, some have sort of decided to cut their losses and have already made plans to move. They've mm -hmm. sort of sunk resources into relocations. And in some ways, it gives us a sense that, um, yes, this Costco project perhaps really is coming down the line. But I also found that, you know, a lot of businesses are operating from a sense of how do you mitigate the risk? And sometimes, you know, no matter what happens, they say, we just got to get out. So one of the women that you interviewed um, is the voice we heard earlier. This is going to the residential side of things. That's Letha Baptiste. And she talked to us about why she doesn't want to get out by Novus Development. Let's give that a listen. It's just large enough for myself. And I've been here for many, many years. It's a very con convenient area for me if I need to go to a doctor, a hospital, or go shopping. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm right here at the highway at 170, and I can hop on and go, and it doesn't take me long to get anywhere 
work, you know, and that means a lot to me. And also, my family, my sister, my nieces, my nephews, they're like three minutes away from me. So why should I, you know, disturb my life and go and move into another area, which I have no family members, and, you know, live a ways away from them? So I, that's what, that is really what's my mind-bothering to me. I need to be closer by my family because I'm older now. That's Letha Baptiste, who lives near the development planned for 170 in Olive Boulevard. Um, Danny, this is being painted as helping this distressed neighborhood, but for people who live in it, it's going to cost them a lot to move. Are they getting offers that would make it worth it to move? I think there are a couple interesting issues that are affecting people like like Letha. They're living on sort of these cul-de-sacs in the area. And to be clear, this is not the entirety of the third ward of University City. This is a small corner. Um, but these homes are about 1,000 square feet. They are a kind of unique um, you know, structure. They're not similar to the larger homes um, that are in other parts of this city. And some of them, you know, they say these homes are perfectly situated and sized for us. Some people say that they just don't have any other homes they think they could afford to move to, even if uh, they get, say, double the value of their homes. These homes, maybe at most, are worth seventy to $80,000. Um, and so it's unclear what the offers are. Uh, I've spoken to some people who did decide to sign contracts, option contracts, which will go into effect when um, the development company uh, finally obtains its full financing. But for people like, you know, Letha, there is both this sense that they're not getting enough resources to reconstitute the lives to which they're comfortable, that they've built in University City, but also sort of the the larger aspect that this is their home and they don't want to go. And why should they be forced to move or take a deal or participate in this big box store transaction that they have very little, uh, you know, stake as far as what Costco could bring, um, but what also kind of forces them to you know, substitute their own interests and their own attachment to the area for some larger, greater good that they're supposed to buy into. Um, Erin, one of our listeners, commented on our St. Louis on the Air Facebook group about this topic. She writes, the proposed redevelopment gives U-City the opportunity to reinvest $15 million in our community. That's why a majority of residents support the project. The status quo is harming our most vulnerable neighbors, and the damage is getting worse. No redevelopment means no large infusion of money to address the widening wealth gap in our community. Um, you talk to people who are proponents of the project. Do you think this is genuinely an effort to try to help a distressed neighborhood here? You know, I think for the people who I spoke to, um, people like Councilman Stacy Clay, um, uh, Rosalind Williams, who was uh, you know the economic development uh, director at the time when this project was put together, you know I think there is an acknowledgement that you know for those vulnerable uh, you know parts of those neighborhoods, those majority black. Uh, neighborhoods in the third ward, those home prices are not coming back from the recession. They are falling into disrepair, and they can look just beyond, you know, the the border with Wellston and other North County municipalities to see what happens when you do let this process get out of hand and when you start to be, you know, to lose population, to lose your housing stock. It's a hard process to reverse. And they've sort of made the decision that you, the only way to reverse it is to put another, you know, a large project on the other side of that seesaw to boy, to keep everyone else up. And they feel, you know, only something of the magnitude of a Costco, of something that will start generating millions of dollars of, you know, sales tax revenue. Um, that's really the only thing that could stop what, at this point, is this systemic and, you know, at this point, a generational 
um, devaluing. I thought it was interesting. One part of your story discussed something I hadn't seen elsewhere, which is that the price of these homes has hit a point where some people were saying you can't even get a mortgage to buy them. Can you discuss that a little bit? You know, as I'd mentioned, you know, a lot of the homes in this area are, you know, in, you know, as the ones in where Letha Baptiste, you know, around $70,000. And what I was told, uh, you know, by Stacey Clay specifically. Who's and others, the councilman the for co- that area? You know, is that you know, after the recession, banks made the decision that to stop, you know, the process that had happened with these subprime uh, mortgages, that they were going to be much more strict about it. And that if your home was not valued, you know, around $100,000, it just didn't make sense for the bank to take the risk to give you that loan. Um, Now, what I was told is that this was a policy that, for instance, makes sense in California. But in Missouri, what you're essentially doing is you're depriving a large number of people from buying homes within their means or to even get, um, you know, for people who may really have interest in increasing the value of those properties to develop equity. And this, you know, fits into the larger trend of what we call redlining or, you know, sort of these, you know, historical differences of who gets loans and who doesn't. And here in, you know, according to data, you know, that was compiled by the Post-Dispatch that looked at the differences in loans. If you look at the census tracts, you know, in, you know, where this redevelopment area is going to be and just south past Olive, you are going from hundreds of loans to dozens. Hmm. Um, and, you, you know, they break it down by race as well. And you can see that this pattern still exists. Is it an intentional racist policy as it was in the past? More complicated, but it, yet it, it still exists. And the outcome and the impact is something that is being recognized by the people who are backing this project and saying, this is how you bring that money back into this area. It's what we have to do. It's painful for those who are being affected by it. The city officials say they're trying to do their best. But I think if you talk to the residents and businesses, you could see it's, it's such a much more complicated and tense situation, essentially you know, being at a negotiating table, but having no cards and no chips and just waiting for someone else to tell you the next step. So you t- we talked a little bit about what the proponents of this would say. The people on the flip side who are against this project, it seems like a lot of them point to what happened in Sunset Hills, which was a project that almost um, got to this same stage here where people were sort of waiting and taking offers. Give us just a quick overview of what happened there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's, you know, this line of critique, you know, it's it's basically, you know, how could we trust the development company Novus now, considering what happened previously? It, you know, it goes into... Uh, you know, in Sunset Hills, they were at a point where they were going to uh, relocate about 200 or so homes to build, uh, you know, another large retail anchor, lots of TIF money. Um, and it, TIF is tax increment financing. Yes. Where essentially, you know, the city was uh, using the uh, you know, sales or property taxes that would be increased and using that to raise money in the present term. Um, but what happened, though, is it got to the point where they were weeks away from closing on these options. The very same contracts that are sort of being offered to people like Lee the Baptiste, sign this document, we'll sell your house at this amount, you know, when the deal gets to, you know, X stage. And people started gutting their homes. They started selling air conditioning, tearing things out, making plans for the future, and it collapsed. Uh, this was in 2006, and you know when I've spoken to Novus and others, they can debate in the various reasons why this happened: a competing development corporation, the recession uh, coming in. Uh, but in the end of it, it was a judge that had actually struck down the tax increment financing, this public financing package, and that killed this, and it created so much bad blood, and it created. Uh, really some diehard activists who kind of promised that they weren't going to let this happen again and that Novus really could not be um, given uh, a free reign to redo this. 
Novus, though, I will say, and as well as University City say that this is not the same situation. There's not, for instance, a, a lawsuit or uh, a similar court scenario where a judge could strike down the public financing. So the opponents are not currently um, trying to stop this through litigation. No, there is okay. no litigation. And really, you know, unlike Sunset Hills, this process has kind of moved beyond uh, the you know the opponents, uh, and you know they're trying to you know continue to raise awareness and concerns, and hoping people don't do the same things that those Sunset Hills owners did. But a similar ambiguity. Uh, is here, and it's just the, it's the question that I got asked, you know, by the sources and by everyone. When is Novus's financing coming together? This question of Novus has to put enough money together to actually build this stuff. It's got it'll get seventy million from the city. It needs a bunch more, a hundred million more, uh, from wherever it's getting. And this is a question that I wasn't able really to find an answer to. That the business owners don't know, the residents don't know, University City officials don't know. What did Novus say? You talked to a representative of the company. Novus, you know, is is you know, I spoke to Novus President Jonathan Brown, who really acknowledged, you know, the the what the shadow of Sunset Hills does, and he said, you know, that was a situation where people, he said, I think, put their their uh, carts before the horses, and he says, on, on one hand. We're weeks away from you know, starting the closing processes of these on these residents and homes. We're you know going to start building first quarter 2020. You know a lot of confidence, a lot more you know specifics than what we've heard before. But at the same time, he said, I don't want anybody to do anything until we're absolutely sure. Um, now, Novus is trying to plan for its own future. Whatever these financial negotiations are taking place, they're taking place in an opaque process that is not a public record, is not you know a city council meeting. Um, and so they really have to play both of these sides, but they both have to, you know, accentuate their confidence and the necessity for this project while also trying to negotiate with homeowners. And as in any negotiating, they're trying to get a good deal for Novus um, and for others. And there's so many directions that these negotiations are happening that people are kind of just left in the dark. So everyone is still kind of in limbo here. Um, we got one last comment on Twitter. Um, Ryan says, this U-City project is a perfect example of how fragmentation hurts our region. U-City offers gobs of tax money to get sales tax money into its borders. And if you wait and see, I bet another municipality will offer gobs of money to get it back. It's a sad note to end on. Danny Wisentowski, thank you much, so much for joining us today. Great to be here. Danny's cover story is in the issue of the Riverfront Times. It's on the street now, or you can read it online at riverfronttimes.com. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. 90.7 KWMU.